Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take with, the adventure us. with 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 us. And welcome back, everyone, to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel. We are going to be doing Classical Studies 101. We're going to be talking Chapter 12 of the Odyssey. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, my name is Sean Marlon Newcomb, and thank you for joining us. As always, if you would be so kind as to leave a lovely rating or a lovely message on whatever podcast platform you are using to listen to us, we really appreciate it. It helps us to get more people listening in. So, without further ado, let us bring aboard our guide in this odyssey, the one, the only, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Hi. Great to be back. That's applause. So, Gary, when last, last we left, we were at Chapter 11, and now we're going to Chapter 12. So, if you can just give us a quick summary of chapter 11 and then we will jump right into chapter 12. Uh, chapter 11 is when uh, Odysseus has to go down to the uh, house of death ruled by Hades the king of the dead and uh, he has to do it in order to find out how to get home and he uh, has to consult with this blind prophet who had died. His name is Tiresias. And so um, he finishes with him, you know, and, um, and and the chapter ends in a dramatic way. You know, he, it says here, the dead came surging around me, hordes of them, thousands, raising unearthly cries. Blanching terror gripped me, panic now. I rushed back to my ship, commanded all hands to take to the decks and cast off uh, quickly. So that sounds like I was going to say it sounds like a uh, Walking Dead episode. You yeah. just got the, the yeah, zombie-like dead surrounding him, trying to take him down. Okay, so that ended there. Endeth chapter eleven. Let's get into chapter twelve. Tell us about it. Yeah, chapter twelve. Um, again, I'm. Uh, reading from Robert Fagel's very readable translation. Um, and he entitles each chapter. This chapter, uh, chapter 12, he entitles The Cattle of the Sun. It's actually more than that, as we'll find out. <clears throat> he has encounters with these other uh, monsters. So... Um, the chapter begins when uh, he sails back to Circe's Island and uh, in order to recover one of his crewmen that died there, Elpinor. So they recover him and they, uh, they practice cremation, so they burn him and then they uh, and his armor for some reason. And then they heap a mound around them and cover them with stone. So once they do that, uh, 
they uh, they go back to their ship and um, and Cersei you know meets them and says uh, uh, Cersei hurried towards us decked in rich regalia her handmaids following close with trays of bread and meats galore and glenny ready wine. And then she hailed us warmly. Ah, my daring, reckless friends, you ventured down to the house of dead alive, now doomed to die twice over. Others just die once. Come take some food and drink. Rest here the livelong day, and then tomorrow at daybreak you must sail, and I will set your course. So she wants to help them, ostensibly, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, she is. We always give our Cersei a good shout-out. <laughs> or she is our matron. So we think the best of her. So he returns. She gives him uh, sort of like, here's here are a few tips on your on your way back out. Yeah. And and then he sets off. Okay. So she uh talks to Odysseus and she says, But Cersei taking me by the hand drew me away. <clears throat> um and the queenly goddess laid my course. She said Your descent to the dead is over, but listen closely to what I tell you now. Uh, First, you must raise the island of the sirens, those creatures who spellbound any man alive. Now, the sirens were a half-beautiful girl, half-bird, monsters. And Cersei says, their high, shrilling song of the sirens will transfix you, lulling in their meadow, Round them, heaps of corpses rotting away, rags of skin shriveling on their bones. Race straight past that coast. And then she says, you know, to preserve his men from hearing the song and jumping ship and, and dying. They're calling vampires or something, you know. And uh, so she says, take beeswax and stop up your shipmates' ears so none can hear. But if you are bent on hearing, have them tie you hand and foot to the mast. So she suggests that he, if he wants to hear, uh, did I, it's interesting that the assumption would be that Odysseus would want to hear, you know, uh, what the song of the siren. So it's, um, all right, so we have that set up. So we know how to avoid the song, but what if you hear the song? Here's what you do if you want to understand what it sounds like. So. All right. And so uh, he does want to hear it. He's always adventuresome, you know, to his fault, you know. Mm-hmm. He's curious. Mm-hmm. He says, um, then she tells him, but once your crew has rolled past the sirens, uh, I cannot advise you. On one side will be beetling cliffs uh, with uh, the clashing rocks. And all ships are destroyed by the clashing rocks. So if he goes that direction, he's going to be destroyed. He said, uh, only one ship alone was able to do it, the Argo. And, and that's the ship of Jason and the Argonauts. 
mm-hmm. which made a great movie, as we discussed, you know. It's also, I think, it, we've talked about this. It's interesting to think about the Argo predating being even ancient in compared to Odysseus, yeah. right? It's just, it, it's the vastness of history. And sometimes it's, we, we forget that. We sort of collapse them all together, but Jason is far earlier than Odysseus. So it's interesting for us who are far later to think about that. Exactly. And then she said Hera, the queen of the gods, is one that uh, sped Jason's ship through so the clashing rocks didn't destroy his ship. <clears throat> but she tells him there's other looming crags. Uh, one thrusts into the vaulting sky. It's jagged peak. No man on earth can scale it. Can mount its crest. And then she says, um, inside it lurks Scylla, the yelping horror. And she, it's interesting that the monsters are identified as female in this chapter. Well, not surprising for the Greeks, but anyway. Yeah. And it says she is a grisly monster. And uh, she goes on to... uh, Describe her. She has 12 legs, all writhing, dangling down, and six long swaying necks, a hideous head on each. In each head is a triple row of fangs. So right there, you see the sacred symbolic number system is really embedded in this monster. Sacred number 12 with the legs, uh, six, half of 12 of the the long snake-like necks, and three rows of teeth, half and six. And Skilla normally sweeps the reefs for dolphins, dogfish, and so on. But she'll eat men too, you know. And then she said, however, if you sail to the other crag, which is lower, uh, beneath it is awesome Charybdis. Now, Charybdis uh, is another she, she says, and a whirlpool. And she says, Charybdis, three times a day, again, the sacred number three, uh, vomits it up, and three times she gulps down the dark water. And so if he sails too close to that, he'll lose his entire ship. He'll kill himself and all his men. So between a rock and a hard place, so to speak. I, I think it's the origin of that kind of idea. Or, there you and, go. And also sailing down dire straits. I thought I would throw that in. Yeah. All right. So that's what he has in front of him. That's the, the danger that awaits, some of the danger that awaits. And then she All says, right. after you basically survive that, she says you will make the island of Ternakia of the sun god. And again, the sacred number. There's seven herds of oxen, seven uh, sheep flocks, and so on. But there's also uh, cattle that are sacred to the sun god Helios. And basically, she's trying to tell him to sail past that island, don't land on it. So he says, at those words, when Don rose, 
on her golden throne, and lustrous Circe made her way back to on her island. I went straight to my ship, commanded all hands to take to the decks and cast off. So that's what he does. Now, it's interesting, too, that Helios, the sun god, is Circe's father. So she knows him pretty well. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think it's an interesting. It's sort of she's giving him insight. Don't land on my dad's island and mess with stuff because it'll it won't end well. Yeah. All right. So she gives him the advice. Odysseus is on his way. And then he goes and tells his crew all she said. Okay. And um, so then um, they make their way to the uh, island of the Sirens. And he said, and then the wind went to a dead calm, so they have to row past it. And um, he says, with a sharp sword I sliced an ample wheel of beeswax down into pieces. And then I, he stuffs up his men's ears, you know. Then he tells his men to, to bind him hand and foot to the mast. <clears throat> then he tells them to row until you, you turn white caps with your strokes. Wait, he stuffs their ears up and then he tells them to bind him? No, he, the other way around. Okay, I was about to say that would be that'd be a little hard. Okay, yeah, so yeah. he's got he tells them to bind them, stuff their ears up, and then they're okay. Yeah, on their way. yeah. Sorry about that confusion. Okay, and then um, then they approach the sirens, and I, I wish you could show uh, I could show you my painting because people really like my painting of the sirens, you know, haunting Odysseus. <clears throat> And then um, this is what the sirens say. He says, they burst into their high, thrilling song. Come closer, famed Odysseus. Greece's pride and glory. Moor your ship on our coast so he can hear our song. Never has any sailor passed our shores in her black craft until he's heard the honeyed voices, hun- heard our honeyed voices pouring from our lips. And once he hears his heart's content, sails on a wiser man. We know all the pains that the Greeks and Trojans have endured on the spreading plain of Troy, when the gods willed it so. All that comes to pass on the fertile earth, we know it all. So they sent their ravishing voices out across the air. And the heart inside me throbbed to listen longer. So then he's mesmerized, okay? And he says, uh, I signal my crew to set me free. But um, they won't do it. He told not to do it. So two of his crew members, Eurylochus, like his second-in-command and Paramedes, they sprung up at once and they bound me faster with rope chafing robe to the mast. But once we left the sirens fading in our wake, once we could hear their song no more, my steadfast crew was quick to remove the wax. And then they loosed the bonds that lashed me and so on. So he's able to survive hearing the siren song. 
and then they sail on. Okay, so he makes it through. So it's it's a scene that it's a very vivid scene. You've seen it portrayed in a lot of different uh, films and in, um, I guess mostly mostly films, some TV shows. Uh, and it's just it's an incredible image, and it's a brilliant image. You know, it's this image. Yeah. Of how do you get through these betwixt in between these two uh, great beasts? And it's a clever, clever way. I, for some reason, throughout my life, I had always thought of it as something that Odysseus had thought of, clever, crafty Odysseus had thought of himself. But actually, it's Circe who gives him the information. Yeah. Gives him the, the method. Yeah. Yeah. Yet, yet another example of a woman not getting credit for her ideas. Right. But, uh, but okay. All right. So Odysseus gets through. So now he has to go past the other monsters. Mm-hmm. So they sail on, and they get to the cliffs of the ghoul, Scylla. So now, wailing in fear, my crew, we rode up on, on up the straits. Scylla to the starboard, dreaded Charybdis off to port her horrible whirlpool gulping the seas down. And we heard her turning depths, seething and heaving, exploding sea spray, a gaping maw. So it's like she has a, and that's the way I depicted her in a painting, you know, like a, a huge mouth. Uh, now when action terror gripped the men, and fearing death, all eyes were fixed on Charybdis. But just then, Scylla, you know, snakes out of her cave and snatches six men from our hollow ship. Glancing so back, again, caught between, caught between. So the other one comes out. Yeah, the other monster. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I could see their hands and feet already hoisted, flailing high, higher, over my head, wailing down on me, comrades riven in agony, shrieking out my name for one last time. Uh, and so uh, so now they ride, gasping as Skelis swung them up to her cliff, and there in her cabin's mouth she bolted them down raw, screaming out. All these pitiful things I had to witness. This wrenched my heart the most. So he's, um, this is sort of the origin of, you know, many uh, commanders, naval commanders in certain situations have had in different wars, had to choose between losing a few men or losing many men. You know, in certain situations. It's a a horrible choice. And and he's now recounting what it, just again, what it's like to see the men that they served with. They made it again. It's really important to remember they made it through the Trojan War. Yeah, they made it through that long and arduous slog, only to like we've heard so many times from war stories, only to have something happen to them after the war. Have them have, something happen to them on their way back. I always remember stories of World War II guys who made it through all the bloody and brutal fighting to return home and get hit by a car. Yeah. That kind of story. So, uh, I mean, it's a little different. They're obviously 
part of the return is to go through something treacherous, but still it is similar. They made it through one thing and they still have another set of trials to get past. Yeah. So then they sail on and the next port of call is the sun god's isle. Remember, he was warned to sail past it. Cersei's dad. Okay. Um, but now at last, putting the rocks, Skillen, and Dread Charybdis far astern, we quickly reach the good green island of the sun, where Helios keeps his fine cattle. And so uh, as they're approaching the island, he says, Odysseus says, I could hear the lowing cattle and bleeding sheep, sheep, and so on. And I was reminded uh, to shun this island by Circe. Time and again, she told me. Listen to me, my comrades. So he's talking to his, his uh, crew. Listen to me, my comrades, brothers in hardship. Let me tell you the dire prophecies of Tiresias and Circe too. Time and again they told me to shun this island of the sun. Here they mourn the worst disaster awaits us. Row straight on past, race our black ship on. So I said, and the warnings broke their hearts. Warning the men. But Eurylochus is second in command, but he's like the uh, leader in mutiny. Says, uh, Eurylochus waded in at once with mutiny on his mind. <clears throat> You're a hard man, Odysseus. Your fighting spirit stronger than ours. Your stamina never fails. You must be made of iron, head to foot. Look, your crew's half dead with labor, starved for sleep. And you forbid us to set foot on this uh, land, this island here, where we might catch a decent meal again? Drain we are, and so on. You can't have us desert this haven. No, let us give way in a dark night and set our supper there. So Eurylochus urged, and the shipmates cheered, so they're all backing him against uh, their captain. Kind of a demagogue. He's sort of a limit, you know, um, rallying the people. It's a typical story we've seen, rallying not from the bigger picture and the loftier ideals, but taking advantage of base needs and interests. And so his men are hungry and tired, even though Odysseus is warning them. Here comes this guy along and say, wait a minute, here's my shot. To call the shots. Yeah. Okay. So we go from there. So Odysseus understands that, you know, he's being, you know, overwhelmed. and But he tries to get him to do this. So Eurylochus urged. Uh, so I, I let fly an anxious plea. Eurylochus, I'm one against all. The upper hand is yours. But swear me a binding oath. All here, and if we come on a herd of cattle, not one man among us will slaughter an ox or a ram. 
just eat in peace, content with food and moral Cersei gave us. So she gave, gave him some food. They quickly swore the oath I required, and then once they vowed, they never harm the herds. And of course they do, okay? And then... Uh, <clears throat> They all, they all seem to be tired, so they all fall asleep. But, you know, once they land on the on the island, right? And then, uh, but Zeus uh, loses, who has it, you know, Zeus who has it in for Odysseus, mm-hmm. he loses a rippling wind, a howling demonic gale, shrouded over with thunderheads. So we hauled our craft ashore securing her in a vaulted cave where nymphs have lovely dancing rings. Uh, but then they, they're, they're, they're stuck there for a whole month. And then the supplies on board the ship, you know, runs dry. And he says, when that happened, the men turned to honey. And I prayed to all the gods of rural Olympus. Down on my eyes, they poured a sweet sound sleep as Eurylochus opened up his fatal plan to his friends. He says, listen to me, my comrades, brothers in hardship. All ways of dying are hateful to us poor mortals. But to die of hunger, starve to death, that's worst of all. So up with us now. Let's drive off these, pick up the Helios' herds. We'll slaughter them to the gods. In other words, they're going to make sacrifices to the gods. Uh, so we can make it home to Ithaca. So there's, they're not, well, they're sacrificing as well as dining, right? So yeah. uh, even though they've been warned that the gods will not favor it. Okay. That, so they're right. not a god won't. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so anyhow, uh, they do it and they um, start killing the the cattle with the curved horns. And says, then they, uh, once they slaughtered them, they prayed and they skinned the cattle and so on. They cut out the meat to cook and all that sort of thing. And they made libations with water since they didn't have wine, libations to the gods. <clears throat> and then uh, they started cooking the meat and uh, the smoky savior rose came floating around me. It's Odysseus. I groaned with anguish, knowing what was going to happen. Uh, quick as a flash, Lampedi, who's uh, she's a you know a minor goddess, sped the news to the sun of Mount Olympus that. Uh, Odysseus men had killed his cattle. And so Homer says, Helios burst out and raged all the immortals. Father Zeus and the rest of you blissful gods who never die. Punish them all. That crew of Odysseus. What outrage. They, they killed my cattle. The great joy of my heart. Day in and day out when I climbed the starry skies, when I wheeled back from the heights to touch the earth once more. Unless they pay me back for blood and butchery to, uh, of my herds, 
down I will go to the house of death and blaze among the dead. And apparently that's a horrible thing to do. And so yeah, to bring, bring the sun down there. Right. Okay. But now the whole thing here, though, when you think about this, this is a really nasty trick by Zeus. Zeus yeah. sets this in motion. It's, it's an old, just the oldest trick in the book. He does something to force the hand of somebody he doesn't like so that that person does something to set a third person off. And then Zeus has an excuse now to go punish the first guy. And I guess because he had agreed to kind of like leave him alone a little bit, he let he puts him in a situation where he can get to use his uh, his great power on this hated mortal in some sense. Yeah. And so um, Homer says, uh, <clears throat> when they're cooking the meat and everything, he says the hides began to crawl, the hides of the cattle. And they start bellowing out. We heard their noise, like the moan of lowing oxen. Creepy, you know? Very, so, very zombie-like. And then another sacred number. For six more days, my eager companions feasted on the cattle of the sun. And on the seventh day, another sacred number, uh, the wind ceased. And so we... Uh, strung out the white sail, board the ship, and launched her to the open sea. But once we had left the island in our wake, then Zeus, the son of Kronos, mounted a thunderhead above our ship. And all of a sudden, killer squalls attacked us, screaming out from the west. It was bringing a great storm on them. Yeah, very good. And, uh, and a murderous blast. And then um, and it, it, it uh, broke the mast. The mast toppled and so on. And Yeah. And uh, the mast hit the helmsman and crushed his skull to a pulp. And then in the same breath, Zeus hit, the, hit our ship with a lightning bolt and thunder. And so on. So the ship is so the ship is blown apart. And uh, Odysseus lashes himself to the mast and a fragment of the keel to make a makeshift raft. And he sails on. But uh, all his crew are now dead. That's what they did to themselves. Yeah, or, or what Zeus made them do to themselves. I still find it a really nasty trick. Yeah. Uh, granted, there you have to have the proper soil to grow the proper uh, plant that you are trying. But, um, yeah, okay. And then so, the chapter ends like this. Uh, I drifted along for nine days, another sacred number, on the 10th sacred number. The gods cast me up on Ogeja, Calypso's island, home of the dangerous nymph with the glossy, glossy braids, who spoke with a human voice. She took me in. She loved me. And we're back to Calypso. Um, 
Amazing, amazing chapter. Really wonderful chapter. Let's give a great round of applause to Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you for guiding us through that beautiful chapter by Homer. Oh, thank you. Uh, this has been the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel again. This is Classical Studies 101. We've been talking about Chapter 12 of the Iliad. I'm Sean Marlon Newcomb. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you very soon. God bless. <laughs>